You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hi, I'm Ralph Powell, co founder and CEO of Real Vision. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Vision podcast. At Real Vision, we pride ourselves on providing the best in-depth expert analysis available to help you understand the complex world of finance, business, and the global economy. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll accept my invitation to try Real Vision Plus for 30 days for just $1. Visit realvisionpodcast.com today and join us as we navigate the financial world together. Cheers. Last year, we heard a very persuasive bear case for one of the world's highest flying tech stocks, led by one of the world's most charismatic entrepreneurs. I've been absolutely amazed at how much uh, Musk has been able to get away with, number one. And number two, at how blind people are to what's coming down the pike competitively versus what Tesla has in terms of anything, you know, proprietary and sort of a moat. To me, this stuff has been obvious for three or four years and yet you know it's still not obvious apparently to to the portfolio managers at fidelity and bailey gifford so i I don't have an explanation for that but one morning they'll wake up and say oh what do i really own here and that'll be it in the spirit of impartiality we put out a call to anyone who would offer the counter argument we were inundated with people offering to defend the honor of both the company and its larger than life leader But what we didn't get was a credible bull to explain why the company would ultimately succeed. Finally, though, we received an email which made a case worthy of presenting. And it's that case with which we begin 2018. This week, on Adventures in Finance, the bull case for Tesla. Today is January the 11th, 2018, and welcome to episode 49 of Adventures in Finance, and the first episode of season three. Now, to my right is the man, the myth, the legend, producer James. Mate, how are you? I'm doing very well. Happy New Year? Yeah, Happy New Year to you too. Um, I'm feeling rather excited about this year. Yeah, well, let's let's not dash your hopes too soon. Uh, Anything particularly you're excited about? Um... Just season three, really. Something different, something <laughs> new. I don't know. There's always something fun to look forward to whenever you're in this uh, in, in the box with me. You know? all, all the illusions that your followers on Twitter had about this <laughs> this whirlwind jet-setting life you'd have just been shattered. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, now, also joining us this week, uh, but not here in the studio with us, uh, in the freezing cold of New York, is my new co-host, Alex Rosenberg. Alex, are you there? Hi Grant, how are you? Well, I'm extremely well. It's uh, I'm I'm so pleased that uh, you're joining us for season three. It's nice to be able to share the load um, and uh, and not have to completely rely on James for everything. Because uh, as you found out in the last few weeks, that doesn't always go to plan. Now, Alex, just uh, for the listeners out there, give them a little bit of your background so they know who the hell you are. Yeah, so I joined Real Vision a couple months ago. I'm co-head of 
content here. I spent uh, five and a half years at CNBC, but try not to hold that against me. Ooh, tough crowd. Um, they're not, they're not going to like that. They're not going to like that. I know, I know. I, I'll, I'll win them over. Don't worry. All right, no, I'm sure you will. Uh, won me over. All right, very good. And uh, I should mention I'm a CFA charter holder, so take that for, for what it's worth, too. Well, Alex, welcome. It's great to have you with us. Um, you are going to fill some large shoes left by our friend Mr. Chan, but uh, I think they are shoes that you will fill with ease. And for me, one of the particular benefits of having you here is it means we get to bring back the long short segment, which is uh, always one of my favorites on the show. So I am going to throw you in at the deep end and give you the yeah. chance to go first. So uh, I know you know the drill here. Uh, I know you've researched a long and a short idea. So pick your poison and let's go. I'll start with my long. I am long Scottish economists. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, I know a few of those myself. And uh, fine gentleman to a man. Now, what particular reason are, do you have for being long Scottish economists this week? Well, so they're, they're working on their universal basic income experiments in Scotland. Uh, and I was reading the article, a bunch of different uh, Scottish cities are applying for grants and some, something like uh, £250,000 is going to be distributed. Uh, and they're going to find out what happens when you just distribute income to people? So I think it's it's something people have been talking about, and I would love to dig into these numbers once they come out. So I, I, it'd be a great time to be a Scottish economist, in my opinion, one of the best. Well, it'll also be a great time to be a Scotsman. I I, I think there's there there are two experiments one could do here. One is to give out two hundred fifty thousand pounds to people, and the other is to give out two hundred fifty thousand pounds to Scotsmen. Uh, every Scotsman I know, I know exactly what they would do with that. They would head down to the pub and have a hell of a good time. And uh, and enjoy every minute of it. So, um, it. Uh, how long do we have until the results come in? I, I, it seems like they're going to start get started in the later part of this year. So, hopefully, results will start trickling in. And and you know, it's just people have been talking about this for so long. It'd be interesting to actually get some good data on how it works. Well, we did. Sure, we have some. Do we have the data yet out of uh, Scandinavia? I know they were trying this in Sweden and places like that. Do we have any data from there? Uh, I'm not sure, but I, I know that those countries, you know, they, they have the they have greater income equality. And there's also a report from, uh, I, I think it was the OECD, that those that equality and happiness are tightly correlated for an economy. So, uh, you know, I'm, 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 not, I'm not necessarily in favor of universal basic income, but it'll be interesting to see some more numbers. What, what, what do you think of the whole experiment, Grant? Well, I, I think it's it's doomed to be a disastrous failure. But look, I, I'm, I'm happy to I'm happy to, for people to give it a go and and see what happens. And uh, I have to say, I'm I'm rather tickled that they're going to start this uh, experiment in Scotland. I think that's a fantastic place to start. Well, as soon as you started with your long, I, I will follow that with my long. And my long this week is the 1940s actress Hedy Lamarr. Uh, and this okay. was a story I saw. Um, uh, a little while ago about uh, her life outside the cinema. And Hedy Lamarr was, uh, back then she was called a bombshell. I'm not sure you'd be uh, politically correct to call her that these days. But she was uh, widely recognised as the most beautiful woman on earth. And in her downtime from being in movies, she would sit in her trailer and she would doodle um, ideas, uh, basically inventions. And she came up with a technology that uh, has basically transformed into uh, Bluetooth this day. So the, the the original inventor of Bluetooth technology was Hedy Lamarr. It's a fascinating story. Um, and she was a... Rem- like, like Da Vinci-esque. Yeah, no, she, exactly right. Master she, of multiple she, fields. She, she invented dissolving soda tablets. She came up with a design for improved traffic signals. 
uh, and some and some skin tautening technique, which she based on the principles of the accordion, apparently. But um, but basically, she was trying to figure out a way to have radio signals hop frequencies to avoid uh, torpedoes being shot down by the Nazis during World War Two. And this this technology is. Uh, morphed into Bluetooth, but she gave the patents to the Navy, so she never made a penny out of it. But it's a fascinating story. She was a fascinating lady, and uh, so I am long Hedy Lamar this week. God bless her. Not Hedley Lamar, the character from Blazing Saddles, for those of you old enough to remember that particular movie. Okay. All right. Very good. Um, I, I, shall I tell you what I'm short? No, I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess. Okay. No, I'm not. You, too, you better tell me. Uh, I'm short spiders. Excellent short. Throw snakes in there, yeah. and I'm with you. It's a good perennial short, but but now I think there's a real catalyst. Um, so there's a story in TechCrunch that this startup called Vault Threads uh, is raising $123 million in their Series D round, um, and they're a company that makes synthetic spider silk. So instead of using spiders, they'll kind of brew it like beer and create this silk <laughs> that's, you know, like, like spider webs, super light and also super strong. So... Um, cool technology, but but problematic for spiders because the the demand, you know, the supplies can increase, demand static, and and these guys are in trouble. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what this means for spiders. I, I don't know if maybe Scottish spiders will have some kind of universal basic spider income. You know, maybe they'll go out and hand out a quarter of a million flies to them or something. But I don't, oh, they'll, they'll they'll need it. Otherwise, they're they're going to just you know spend all day at the pub uh, waiting around for someone else to buy them a, a I don't know what spiders drink. Artificial spider silk. Who would ever have yeah. thought it? And also, who would have ever thought that you would come up with a slightly more ridiculous short than me? That uh, I need to, I need to remedy that next week. My short this week, um, and it's a theme that I've banged on about for a lot of last year. I am once again short uh, advertising agency revenues, and this uh, comes from a story that Nike is going to implement a reverse auction. Uh, in connection with its agency fees this year. So they're basically going to collect rate information from all the big ad agencies oh, wow. and essentially pick the lowest provider. I mean, this is something that started. Facebook and Google have basically just just eaten the lunch of the guys, the big, um, the big six ad agencies. And it looks like this move from Nike, who spent just over $3 billion on advertising in 2016. Uh, that's the latest full data they have. Um, they are looking to cut that dramatically. And so... They are going to bring in all the big advertising agencies, uh, put them over huh. a barrel, and and batter them until until they get a price they like. So, I think once again this is a trend that's going to keep continuing. So, the big six advertising agencies, I am short their revenues this week. Do Do you think Nike is going to look to do more viral marketing kind of stunt based things rather than just blanketing the airwaves? Oh, look, who knows? I mean, that seems to be the way it's all going. Um, but I think. Uh, I dare say that they will at some point try and put the squeeze on the likes of Facebook and Google, which uh, which is where all the ad, uh, the ad spend is going now. But one way or another, companies are looking to spend less on advertising, and that does not bode well for the other companies who want them to spend a lot more on advertising. Okay, well, look, time to move on, and we are moving on to something that uh, I'm extremely happy about, and it has taken us... Uh, from 2017 into 2018, but we have finally found a bull to counter Mark Spiegel's case on Tesla. Now, we had a lot of people contact us about this in the last couple of months since we did uh, the, uh, the the short Tesla piece, um, but most of them, well, in fact, all of them, uh, had one thing in common. They were either uh, apologists for Elon Musk that said, 
when you got down to it, their their argument was basically, well, don't worry, Elon will figure it out. Uh, and the others were people that were very happy to tell me why the car was awesome and not why the company is going to be a success, which is what I really want to find out because, to my mind, the pressure has mounted on, on the company rather than um, uh, on the cars themselves. Now, since our episode, we've had the launch of the Tesla truck. We've had the launch of the Tesla Roadster, both of which came with a fair amount of negative publicity, which I thought was very interesting. Um, but finally, we had an email and a case made on the bullseye from someone who I am delighted to be able to introduce to the audience. So Rob Maurer is the host of the Tesla Daily Podcast, and he joins us now to talk about the positive side of Tesla. So Rob, welcome to Adventures in Finance. It's, uh, it's great to have you with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Grant. Excited. Now, as I, you know, as, I, as I mentioned in the introduction, I've been looking for a credible uh, Tesla bull since since we spoke to uh, to Mark Spiegel, and uh, mm-hmm. and finally, out of the ether, you materialize, which is which is great <laughs> news. So, I thought what we'd do initially is do the right thing, give you the same latitude we gave Mark to to sort of present the bull case for Tesla uh, sure. in your own words, and then and then perhaps we can uh, once we've heard the other side, then you and I can perhaps dig into it and I'll play devil's advocate and take Mark's side and we can perhaps kick a few ideas around. So so why don't you kick us off with uh, with the thoughts of a Tesla bull? Sure. So essentially what you need to understand if you're considering investing in Tesla or considering the bullish case for Tesla is that many people that are invested in Tesla start out with the thesis, with the thesis that fundamentally electric vehicles are superior to internal combustion engine vehicles for most use cases. For a variety of different reasons, um, those reasons include safety, performance, acceleration, cost of ownership, which is broken down to fuel, maintenance, residual value. So lower cost of fuel, lower cost of maintenance because there's fewer moving parts, higher residual value because the fewer moving parts generally means the powertrain can last longer into the future. So the residual residual value is higher. And then obviously um, there's less noise with an electric vehicle. There's less environmental pollution, which is great. Um, the main downsides to electric vehicles versus internal combustion engine vehicles, um, which are also known as ICE, I'll probably refer to them as that way going forward. Sure. But an EV versus an ICE, um, the downsides obviously historically have been range. They've been fairly limited. Tesla's kind of corrected that with offering 200 plus mile range vehicles and now even up into the 300 plus mile range vehicles. And then fueling time. So that's been a huge concern as well. Um, Tesla is addressing that with the supercharger network which seems to actually suit people very well. Tesla in the past has tried out a a battery swap station, actually, that was able to swap the pack of a Tesla vehicle in about the same amount of time that it took to fill up a car with fuel. And what they found was that owners actually preferred supercharging to having to pay, you know, around $80, I think is what they charge for that. So slight probably cost increase versus what it might cost to fill a comparable ICE vehicle. Um, but they found that people would just actually prefer the supercharger network because after a long period of time in the car, so, you know, two hundred three, two to 300 miles, most people just want to actually take a break and they find that that, um, is a better option for them. So Tesla's pretty much addressed that fueling time issue for most people. Again, not everybody, but most people with a supercharger network, which now has basically a hundred percent coverage throughout the United States, throughout Europe and in many parts of Asia. Um, and then the other big one was cost. So over the course of time, obviously the cost of batteries has been a limiting factor into um, how, number one, how far the range of the vehicle is because the more batteries you have to put into the vehicle, the higher the cost of the batteries are going to be, obviously. So Tesla has addressed that by 
basically um, increasing the scale of production. So going back to 2006, Elon Musk kind of wrote his secret master plan, posted it on the Tesla website as kind of like a blog post. And essentially what the secret master plan was, was to start with a low volume, high price sports car, which was the Tesla Roadster, and then use the money that they make from selling that vehicle to develop and scale a lower model vehicle, which is now the Model S. So the original Tesla Roadster cost around $110,000. The Model S now costs around $70,000. And then the plan, the third part of the Secret Master plan was to use the profits from that more affordable car, which is now the Model S, to develop an even more affordable car, which we're now seeing start production in the Model 3 with a base price of $35,000. So Tesla's pretty much stuck to that plan um, very very much to the T and we're now seeing that plan come to fruition. So Tesla's really addressed all of those downsides and again, not for everybody, but for a much larger portion of the market than I think a lot of bears um, kind of give credit for. So once you kind of, and we can talk about more of the specifics behind the advantages of electric vehicles and kind of what gives them those advantages. But once you kind of understand those things, you're really looking and you really understand that the electric vehicle is going to probably be the future of mobility then really what you want to look at is who's going to lead that market. And in my opinion and many bulls opinions, Tesla will lead that market for a number of different reasons. They have many different advantages. And again, we can go into these in more detail, but um, cost, they are definitely the lowest cost um, battery at a pack level in terms of cost per kilowatt hour. So that is obviously a tremendous advantage because we just discussed that cost is one of the main limiting factors to electric vehicles. Um, the technology, so obviously the autopilot suite, um, has been leading the market for a couple of years. <laughs> I'm sure we'll talk more about that as well. But um, so that's that's been a big advantage for Tesla. And they're, I know that Mark um, talked about how Tesla didn't really have any IP with their battery packs or anything like that because they're partnered with Panasonic. Panasonic's really just giving the sales to Tesla and Tesla's really doing the rest of the battery pack architecture, which there's a lot of things that go into that, like thermal management, um, and then just the production and how efficiently those battery packs can be assembled and things like that. So Tesla actually has a lot of IP in that area that other manufacturers do not and don't appear to be willing to commit to to get to. Um, Tesla also has the advantage of being in Silicon Valley, which everyone else does not. It's obviously the tech capital of the world. So Tesla's right there local to all the talent. They also have the ability to appeal to that talent as being this new tech startup. Um, so that's a huge advantage for Tesla going forward. Obviously, they have the performance advantage. Some of the battery pack things that they do um, allows them to achieve better performance than what we see from competing electric vehicles. So that's a big one. The infrastructure, that's huge. Um, nobody else seems to be willing to commit at all to building a charging infrastructure. Um, a couple other companies are partnering and doing some really small things in Europe. Um, but compared to Tesla's charging infrastructure, it's just basically five years behind at this point. And as we talked about again, range and fueling time are very limiting factors for electric vehicles. So until competitors can address those issues, they're not really going to be able to compete with Tesla. Maybe a little bit more in Europe where the geographical distances between locations are a little bit more condensed, but certainly in the United States where many people are taking multiple hundred miles of trips, no one's going to be able to compete until they have that infrastructure in place or until they're willing to partner with Tesla, which Tesla is definitely very open to. Um, in terms of other advantages, the Currently, all of the other main players in the automotive industry, this kind of excludes startups for the, for the moment, but the main players, so VW, BMW, Audi, um, Porsche, things like that, they all have 
assets. They have invested heavily into the internal combustion engine for 50 to 100 years. And those assets are going to be invaluable or unvaluable, I guess, not valuable <laughs> um, once the transition to electromobility happens. So all of those assets are going to be stranded and that's just going to tie a weight around those companies. Tesla doesn't have to worry about that because they are pure electric vehicle play. So none of those stranded assets are going to impact Tesla, which is going to be a huge advantage and allows Tesla to really pursue it to um, really the full degree, which nobody else is able to do. And that's how we've kind of gotten to this place where Tesla is significantly ahead of competition. Um, also kind of along that same line, the investor base for Tesla is very different than the investor base that exists for those other companies. So for example, people that are invested in Tesla, obviously Tesla is not profitable at this point in time. Um, they definitely have significant negative free cash flow, as you've talked about spending heavily in R and D spending heavily in, um, in capital expenditures. And the investor set for Tesla is 100% on board with that spending because they believe that Tesla can turn that spending into significant growth in the future. The other automakers don't necessarily have the investor base that will support that sort of spending. So it's a much more difficult position for them to be in when they think about spending, you know, $5 billion on a battery manufacturing plant like Tesla has done with the Gigafactory. It's a much more contentious decision than what it would be for Tesla because Tesla investors know that that's the path forward that Tesla has been planning to take since they, you know, came on the market versus these other companies, investors are invested in them because of their profits, in many cases, their dividends. It's just a different set of investors, value versus growth. And we saw those sort of same sort of things play out with Amazon for many, many years. Amazon was able to just continue to put cash back in their business to grow it very, very quickly um, and very steadily over time. And other retailers would complain because um, Amazon didn't have to show a profit, whereas all these other retailers that also wanted to grow their e-commerce businesses and things like that had to still appease their current shareholders, still hit their margins that they had hit historically, even though this transition was um, kind of taking place. So I see a lot of parallels between kind of what happened there and the disruption that happened there um, in the retail industry with what we're seeing now happen in the auto industry. And I've, after spending a lot of time thinking about that, um, I really feel like the investor set really makes a difference in terms of the flexibility of these companies as they navigate through these kind of like disruptive periods. So I think that's a big advantage for Tesla. The other thing which I kind of alluded to, their mission statement is really just, it's super clear, accelerate the advent of sustainable energy. So everything that they do is driven to do that, whereas these other companies are not clearly headed in that direction because that's not their founding principle. So it just provides that clarity. And again, all the investors understand that and Tesla is able to pursue that to the full degree, which I think is really important. Um, I think that's kind of the main points. So any of those that we want to dig into and probably spend some more time on competition and, and how they're positioned against Tesla. Sure. Well, look, fantastic. I mean, again, I really appreciate you coming on and, and, and giving us that bull case. Um, I, I guess the first place I'd start, uh, you know, Elon's secret master plan to, to build the the low volume, high price car, and then roll the profits back into the next one, and then do the same again. Um, yeah. You know, there's there's one obvious missing component of that, which is the profits. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's it's not a profitable venture, nor has it been, nor does it look like it's going to be at any time in the future. Which I guess brings us back onto that that um, that patient investor base. Uh, right. And I agree, they they have been extraordinarily patient to this point, um, but. 
if they're trying to invest along the lines of, well, look, you know, this is the future, this is going to better the environment, this is you know, electric vehicles are much better than combustion engine cars, they haven't really had anywhere else to invest along those lines uh, up until uh, now. I mean, you could argue that the, the Chevy Bolts and the Nissan Leafs of the world offer them the ability to to invest in an electric vehicle future. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, once the Mercedes and the Audis and the Porsches of the world do start putting their direct competition to the Model S, which is obviously going to happen starting, I think, next year. The first ones are, are, are liable to hit the streets. Um, you know, all of a sudden, no matter how patient an investor base is, individuals is one thing. But if you're a fiduciary for, for other people's capital and you're investing in a company that is is not profitable, um, quite the reverse, in fact, and suddenly their their business is going to be disrupted itself by the entrance of a lot of very credible alternatives to their to their main product. Um, you know, I I don't think at that point you you are allowed to be patient with your capital. Uh, you you have to start turning the screws on the companies you're investing in and getting them to to produce a return for your investors. Um, you know, the the Amazon uh, comparison, I, I would posit that Amazon doesn't really have any competition in the retail space that that it's it's decimated the retail sector, but there isn't another dot-com site you can go on realistically that offers um, uh, a direct competitor to Amazon. And so, again, their profitability requirements uh, is something of a moot point. I think the, the Porsches, the Mercedes of the world, they are profitable businesses and they reinvest those profits back into their, to their, um, to their business. And so, you know, when I, when I look at Tesla, um, you know, I see a company that's done a tremendous job that definitely has first mover advantage. But I look at something that is about to start punching with the really, really serious players. And I would have thought and I would have hoped that at this point in the process, they would be much further down the track to give themselves uh, a better a better start against the you know the the, the let's call them the, Ger- the Germans, you know the Germans are all going to come in and Tesla is really I would suspect not where it would hope to have been once the Germans enter the market. What are your thoughts on all that? It's a it's a lot, sure. it's a lot to yeah to throw together, but uh, I mean pick any part of it you'd like to. Yeah, there is for sure. And I think those are all good things to think about and definitely consider if you're at all considering an investment in Tesla. Um, let's start with kind of the profitability because I think that's probably one of the most important yeah. points for people to understand and maybe one of the most frequently misunderstood. I think the media draws a lot of attention to what they refer to as cash burn when they look at Tesla. So I think you mentioned Tesla, you know, now I think they're at like negative 9 billion mm-hmm. free cash flow since they IPO'd or something like that. So um, there's definitely spend happening beyond what they are earning from their business, but that doesn't necessarily mean that their business isn't profitable. So I have their 2016 numbers here, 2017, you know, just closed. So we don't have the the full annual numbers yet. So I guess we can just work from 2016. Um, but just gross profit from Tesla's business in 20, 2016, their, their profit was actually $1.6 billion. So the rest of that profit was reduced from different various things that they um, spent money on in addition to just their cost of goods sold. So obviously there's SG&A. They spent about $1.4 billion on that. 
Um, so with gross profit and SGNA, their gross profitability in 2016 was $1.6 billion. Um, after that gross profit line, a couple things come out, obviously research and development, SGNA to get to their, um, actual income from operations, which has been negative. Um, but if we look at it and kind of like break those numbers apart, as I said, the gross profit was 1.6 billion. Their SGNA spend in 2016 was 1.4 billion. What really drove the negative income and the negative free cash flow was spending on research and development and spending on capital expenditures. So in 2016, they spent $1.4 billion on CapEx. And in 2016, they spent $800 million on research and development. Obviously, neither of those numbers is going to benefit Tesla from a revenue or profitability perspective in 2016. Those are investments for the future. So if we look strictly at the money that Tesla had to spend um, for 20, 2016's revenue, we'd be looking at the CapEx from the past, the R&D from the past. And as Tesla continues to grow revenue very rapidly, um, it's my opinion that they're actually being very responsible with how they are spending in accordance with how they're growing. So let me just give you some, some, some numbers here. So can we agree that CapEx and R&D would be associated with future revenues? Would you uh, guys agree well, with that? Well, I certainly hope so. I would certainly right. hope so. <laughs> <laughs> right. Unless there's, you know, financial tricks, which maybe bears want to claim that. I personally don't agree with that. Um, but assuming that the numbers are legitimate numbers and investments for the future. So if we look at how Tesla spent CapEx in 2014, they spent almost a billion dollars in CapEx. That generated 2015 revenue of $4 billion. If we move to 2015 CapEx spend, they spent about $1.6 billion in CapEx. That generated 2016 revenues of $7 billion. So those rates are 24% and 23% in terms of the percent of revenue of the next year, so the following year. If we look at the CapEx for 2016 and what that will generate in terms of 2017 revenue, Tesla spent about $1.5 billion and it generated revenue, should generate revenue of about $1.7 billion. That's what I'm projecting roughly for 2017. So that's 12%. So they've actually been very consistent in how they're spending um, in terms of how that CapEx relates to forward revenue. So it's 24%, 23%, 12%. So it's actually coming down over time, which signifies that they are starting to generate more of that operating leverage that you want to see um, as time goes on. If we do a similar sort of ratio for R&D, back in 2014, it would be 11% of 2015's revenue. In 2015, it would be 10% of 2016's revenue. And then in 2016, it'd be 7% of 2017's revenue. So again, showing that continual progress in terms of generating that leverage that you want to see. Similar ratios for SG&A is 15, 13, and 12%. So same thing on that line as well. So they're actually being very responsible and very consistent with their spend as it relates to how they are generating revenue in the future. And on all three of those lines, you can see that operating leverage start to develop. The other interesting thing is that Tesla is actually one of the fastest growing companies in history. So if we look at the revenue that Tesla's generated kind of since they IPO'd, the first year after they IPO'd, they generated um, a little over 200 million in revenue. And from that point in time, They've now grown to this year generating probably around one point or eleven point seven billion, as I said. So that means that it took Tesla only six years to go from two hundred million to ten billion plus in revenue. I looked up a ton of other companies to try and find other companies that had that growth rate, even tech companies, software companies that should be able to 
grow much more quickly. And I didn't really find much. So amongst Google, Tesla, Facebook, Alibaba, Amazon, Baidu, Microsoft, what of those companies do you think was able to grow at that pace the most quickly? I, I would, yeah, good question. I don't know, maybe Baidu. So Baidu was able to do it in eight years. Okay. Nine years, sorry. Amazon was able to do it in nine years. Alibaba in eight years. Facebook in six years. Tesla is in line with Facebook in six years. And Google's the only company that I could find that actually exceeded that, and they did it in five years. So Tesla's actually keeping pace in terms of revenue growth with these, you know, companies that now have market caps in the hundreds of billions of dollars. And that's the growth rate that Tesla has been on um, over the last six years. And really only one of them was able to exceed it. And again, Tesla's in a very CapEx heavy industry versus um, these other companies are sure. primarily software based. So I think really that gets skipped over a little bit or glossed over a little bit when people talk about the money that Tesla is spending and their lack of profitability. Tesla is going to continue to try to grow at 50 to 70% since they've IPO'd. I think the revenue growth is about a 70% kegger. And really they have the path forward to be able to do that. If we look at the revenue that Model 3 should be able to generate annually based on the amount of pre-orders they have, which is 500,000, probably 500,000 plus at this point, that equates to a very likely possibility of um, revenue stream of $20 billion a year. Model Y, which will be the crossover um, built on the Model 3 platform, that vehicle segment should be or is becoming larger than the sedan segment. So Tesla should be able to easily, um, if Model 3 can generate $20 billion annually, the Model Y should be able to generate easily $25 billion annually. If we add that on to the revenue that Tesla's already generating for Model S, Model X, and then Tesla Energy, which we, we can talk about later, but if we add that on, um, Tesla's easily at 50 to $60 billion in revenue, and they just have a very clear path forward to get there from a demand perspective. And that's why they're spending all this CapEx, spending all this R&D, um, and scaling the SG&A line prior to the revenue hitting, because they have to build up those things ahead of the revenue actually hitting the books. So when investors focus on single single years and try to point to the lack of profitability from those single years, I think it really misses the big picture and really misses the potential that Tesla has. Because as we just talked about, they are starting to generate that operating leverage. And as they grow, we're only going to see that continue. Because once they're a $55 billion company, they're probably not going to be needing to spend you know, 25% of their revenue on CapEx. And if they are, that just means that they're continuing to probably project growth in that 50 to 70% range, which investors will continue to be very happy to support because that's, again, one of the fastest growing companies of all time. And the market potential that Tesla has is obviously just massive in terms of the automobile industry and the energy industry. Well, so, let, let me let me jump in there because I'm making I'm scribbling yeah. notes furiously. And I'm, I'm, I'm going yeah, to get tangled sure, up sorry. on my thoughts. Oh, I'll fine. give you a chance. Yeah, I think <laughs> um, so. Obviously, th there's a few things here um, that I want to come back to. Uh, the first one, obviously, is the fact that uh, all through this um, this path you've walked us through, they've been raising money hand over fist. I mean, they've raised mm -hmm. equity, they've raised debt, uh, and the simple truth is. They're out of money at this burn rate. Whether they're making gross profits, they're either going to have to turn off the R&D, uh, make massive cuts, or raise money because the numbers right. just don't work any other way. Um, and, you know, when you talk about investing for the future in R&D, 
you know, a couple of companies spring to mind, Kodak and Polaroid, you know, both of which were investing heavily in R&D for this future uh, and ended up going out of business. And, you know, when I look at Tesla and I look at a company that is going to have to raise a significant amount of cash once again, um, first of all, I can't understand why Elon hasn't raised a ton of equity um, when it was up in the high 300s. I, I just don't understand why he wouldn't do that. Because now he's at a he's at a point where you know the, the money runs out. I think in August of this year, so at some point I would think in the next three months they're going to have to come with a big big capital raise, and they're going to do that into the teeth of a a lot of news as we've talked about about competition coming up that that is certainly going to make investors think twice about the terms they want to to re up uh, into any capital call, um, and secondly you know, when you look ahead at the, 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 the Model Y to be built in the Model uh, 3 platform, you know, that Model 3 platform has been, um, uh, I'm trying to think of a nicer word to use than shambles, but I'm going to use shambles. <laughs> uh, you know, Elon's own words are production hell. Um, sure. You know, they've, they've not demonstrated an ability to get this thing up and running. There are, there are people cancelling amongst those 500,000 orders left and right. Um, so, you know, it, it seems to me, you know, I can, I can see the, the, the roadmap, um, and the roadmap makes all the sense in the world to me, but what mm-hmm. I haven't seen is the ability to execute that in a timely enough way that you aren't going to put yourself under a massive amount of pressure to raise capital under, under, um, less than ideal circumstances. So, you know, Whilst I can I can see Elon's vision, and I you know I, I commend him for for wanting to increase electric cars, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, and do good for the environment. If I'm an investor, um, you know, I'm really worried at this point. I, I'm looking at a company that has had this huge first move advantage. It has has built a, a wonderful car on the Model S. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, it's a great car, but. Uh, the problems they've had with executing this this Model Three, I think, is far more significant, perhaps, than than the the bulls that look through that to the Model Y and look through the the problems to well, you know, it, they're going to get that fixed. It's going to be fine. Um, you know, I've seen nothing to suggest they will fix it in time. So th- this 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 access to capital they've had because of these fast growing company because there's been no competition has been fantastic for them. They've raised around $9 billion to, on those terms. You know, I've got to think they're going to need to raise you know, another four, five, six maybe in the next capital raise. And I suspect that once the market gets a look at the terms that investors are offering them, it's going to start to raise doubts. Sure. So I guess that I would say in response to that, Right now, I think Tesla's got about $3.5 billion in cash on hand, um, cash, cash equivalents. So, and I think last quarter, they the loss from operating expenses was about half a million dollars. And then CapEx, I think, on top of that was $1.1 billion, which led to negative free cash flows of $1.6 billion. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing you're kind of using that $1.6 billion and extrapolating that across a couple quarters well, and then well, saying... Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, look, it's a very simplistic way of doing it. but And I realize there mm-hmm. are levers they can pull, but the, but the levers are the kind of levers that if you pull them, they scream trouble to investors. You know, if, you, if you're okay. a technology company like Tesla and you suddenly say, well, we're going to scale back on R&D massively and we, there's no way we'll burn through 1.6 billion, you know, our burn will be closer to seven, 800 million. As an investor, 
in a tech company that is supposed to spend on R&D, but they're also supposed mm-hmm. to make money, that's that's a huge red flag to me. So, so I, I, I appreciate that they could easily find ways to blow through a lot less. What they would have to do to, to do that, it, you know, it's, it's this catch-22 situation that, that everywhere I look, I kind of see them uh, trapped in. So I think, yeah, I think on the R&D line, I think that's fair. That would be... I probably wouldn't be as concerned with the slowdown there, but I'm sure a lot of that is, you know, salaries and things like that, as well as more flexible stuff. So I'm not really looking at the R&D line as much as I'm looking at CapEx. Mm-hmm. CapEx in Q4 should be pretty high. I do think that their loss from operations will be much lower than that half a million because they had um, record deliveries of Model S and Model X at over 28000 And they actually had pretty low production because some of that production went into focusing on Model 3. So... What that means is lower production, more sales. That means that their um, cost of goods sold on those things are going to be lower than what they were in previous quarters. So that should create operating leverage much more than what they saw in Q4. So I'd expect that that um, loss from operations to be much, much lower. I haven't really worked through the full numbers, but it's I'd be shocked if it was anywhere near half a million or sorry, 500 million again this quarter. And then on CapEx. I think they got into Q4 being about a billion dollars in CapEx, but really that should be not necessarily like the last big quarter for CapEx, but during the Model 3 ramp up, we should not see continuation of $1 billion in CapEx each quarter because really it's Q3 and Q4 where they had to install a lot of those lines and pay for a lot of those, a lot of that equipment. Um, same thing happening with the Gigafactory as well. So the CapEx should be much lower um, and I think investors expect that and um, it would not be a cause for concern because it's, again, it's a little bit bulky here right now as model three ramps up. So once that happens, um, Tesla can start again, creating that operating leverage from the model three line versus right now they're just having to spend to get all this production up and they're not getting any other revenue back yet. So, um, I do think that they can, the three and a half billion that they have right now will certainly last a lot longer than those projections would, um, indicate, Again, I do think that it's, you know, it's not unlikely that Tesla either accesses more debt or sells some equity. I think that the tune of $6 billion is um, probably very unlikely. You know, a couple million might be more likely, but that's only going to dilute the stock by, I think it's at 50 billion now. So whatever 3% is that, I don't, (laughs) whatever that math is, but it's pretty low, um, especially for a growth company like Tesla. I think the equity markets are more than willing to um, come to the table again. For that, especially as we persist in a bull market, again, if we don't, if we're, if we don't stay in a bull market, Tesla has had fairly, fairly favorable um, market situations for them to raise equity in to date. So, if those were to change significantly, that would be a cause for concern. Um, but that's that's kind of you know one of the risks that you take on when you're investing in a growth company. So, I don't think that those risks are necessarily out of balance with where where Tesla's priced at right now. I'm just I'm just curious, Rob. You know, when you hear uh, someone like Mark uh, make his case against Tesla, um, mm-hmm. you, you know, it, it, Tesla just as a stock seems to engender such strong feelings on both sides. I mean, there there's a reason yeah, that you don't have a podcast about GM or Ford. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm just kind of curious, like how how you what you think of the sentiment because you mentioned the investor base, and and for someone like Mark, you would say that uh, Elon Musk is a is a expert uh, stock manipulator and and for you you Mm -hmm. kind of see it as it you're almost not saying something different but you're coming at it from a different angle i think where you're where you're saying he's able to communicate his vision better than 
any other CEO. I'm just, I'm just kind of curious, like, do you think you have something maybe in common with the bears and that you see this as a very different stock from others or, or what do you make of this whole, whole, it's such a battleground stock. What do you make of that, that whole sure. dynamic? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think in terms of how I see it, it would be, I do see it as being very different than other stocks. So if you're going to be a person that wants to invest in GM or Ford or Volkswagen, you're probably not going to be interested in investing in Tesla. People that are investing in Tesla are probably more likely to be investing in companies like Netflix, um, you know, riskier companies that probably have more growth potential, um, but are probably not quite there yet. Again, I liken it very much to Amazon, and I see the bearish arguments against both companies as being very similar in terms of the profitability concerns, the competition concerns. Um, one of the bearish arguments against Amazon was that, you know, Walmart can just put up a website and then Walmart's already got all the infrastructure, all the scale to be able to distribute products. Like what, what value is Amazon going to be able to provide? And the only way that Amazon's gaining market share is through lower prices and things like that. So that are not sustainable and never be able to generate margin. They're not a tech company. And over time we've seen all of those, kind of bearish arguments fade. The short interest in Amazon stock has gone down um, considerably over time as the market cap has gone up. And Amazon's kind of proved all of those things wrong. And I see a lot of similarities there with Tesla. Um, a lot of the competitive arguments are the same. Um, the competitors already have a lot of the, you know, are supposed to have a lot of the infrastructure set up already to mass produce vehicles. I would disagree with that because I think it's um, it's a shift to mass-produced electric vehicles versus internal combustion engine vehicles. Um, but that's one of the bearish arguments. So I, I see a lot of similarities there. And again, Amazon was one of those very divisive stocks as well. In terms of Elon Musk and I guess his vision, I, I do think that he's able to present his vision very clearly. But I think more importantly, he, bullish investors feel like he's the only one that is presenting the correct vision. And I don't say that from an environmental reason or anything like that. Like that's not why I'm invested in Tesla. I'm invested in Tesla because I truly believe that electric vehicles are better for those reasons that I listed, which we should probably go into more detail on. But once you get to that point where you feel like electric vehicles are the future, um, and you start doing more research on that, you hear the things that Elon is saying and you see the, just the sheer demand for electric vehicles, specifically electric vehicles from Tesla. And you'd start to listen very closely to CEOs of the other companies and you start to watch their plans and their plans get pushed back, pushed back, pushed back vehicles that are planned to come to market. Don't come to market. The Audi e-tron is a great example that was supposed to come out in 2013. It was supposed to be somewhat competitive with the model S Audi kept pushing it back, pushing it back. And then it never came to market or I think it did come to market. I think they shipped less than a hundred and they priced it at like a million dollars a vehicle um, because they just didn't want to produce it in scale. And really the main reason for that, they said that it was because battery technology didn't advance as quickly as they hoped it would. Um, meanwhile, Tesla's producing the Model S and taking the market share leadership position in that market. So when you see statements from a company like Audi saying that the battery tech isn't there, and then you look over and you see the Model S sitting there as the leader in the market, there's just, you know, something's not right there. So Elon is is very good at presenting the case forward. And then once you kind of see that case play out over many different iterations and instances and over time, over the course of many years, um, you just, you just start to take the, 
which is really interesting because you start to take the comments from other CEOs for granted, and you can really see that um, that Elon's vision is, at least the bullish viewpoint, is that his vision is um, probably the correct path to take. Well, Elon, I know, I mean, look, it, Elon's vision is obviously going to be utopian. I mean, it it it, it kind of has to be by design, mm-hmm. essentially, because sure. what, he, what he has to do is get people to to follow him and follow that vision. And he has to sell it to them and he has to sell it to them hard. And, you know, we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about investors uh, in this conversation. It's been fascinating. Um, but again, uh, underneath the investors, as well as convincing them to pony up fresh capital at, 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 at agreeable terms to the company, you, you have to find the people to buy the cars. And you know, we haven't perhaps spent enough time, and you touched on it there, which is why I want to I want to sort of move into this space. Sure. You know, the, Volvo's pushed back. Um, the, there's talk about them having an all-electric fleet by 2020 or 2019 now. Um, that that has changed from 2013 when this, this electric competitor was, was first mooted. Yeah, and I agree. So, and so you know, in the next two years, uh, there are going to be plenty of meaningful competition for the Tesla cars. Um, and, you know, unlike Amazon, the, the, the companies that are coming in to, um, to direct competition with Tesla, they sure as hell know how to design, manufacture, and sell cars. They do have working production lines. Yes, they'd have to retool those. And I wouldn't presume to know exactly how complicated a, a, a procedure that is, but it's certainly not something that they've never done before, whereas the building the production line, as we've seen with the Model 3, is certainly a new process for, for Tesla. And so, you know, I, I, I look at all this stuff, and, and for me, when I try and evaluate this, um, th- this is the key to me, is that uh, Elon's done a phenomenal job with building the Model S. Um, you know, the Model X, the Model 3, he seems to have struggled more and more with each with each passing um, uh, design, which which kind of makes sense to me. Because he's, instead of building one car, now you're building three or four if you want to include the Roadster. Um, and now he's throwing a truck into the mix and he's throwing another Roadster into the mix um, at, a, at a point in time where he is about to, to find that uh, this is you know, tag team wrestling and this is the point where everybody jumps <laughs> in the ring and it's a free-for-all. And mm-hmm. so you know, when, I, when I look at this, I, I just I, I struggle to see how he's going to be able to put fires out on all these fronts. I, he, he's going to have to fight off the incumbents. He's going to have to raise the capital. He's going to have to convince people um, that uh, the, the, the semi is viable. And, and I would just throw into this mix because I think it's important. What I've really noticed, and these are the kind of things, that, the details that I try and tune into, is the, the narrative in the press has shifted materially, 180 degrees to me. And suddenly, from less than a year ago, when Elon could do no wrong and everything he said was greeted with, um, you know, fanfare and, and, and slaps on the back, suddenly everybody's attitude is, okay, prove it. Uh, the truck came out and it immediately it was torn apart by the press. The, the, the weight of the batteries, the cost of the batteries... Um, it was it was tough to find. Um, I don't want to use the term pejoratively, but a fanboy article saying what an amazing idea this was, what an amazing truck it was going to be. Everywhere I read, certainly 
in the mainstream press. I, I didn't go into the sort of the, the depths of the the, the Teslarians, but mm. the articles were instantly, you know, come on, you're going to sell a $200,000 truck and the batteries are going to cost $180,000. And the Roadster, the um, you know the new Roadster, which again was was completely unnecessary to do. He didn't need to do the big launch. It was like no one was expecting it. Great, you can get out there and drive out this beautiful looking car uh, which with phenomenal acceleration, yada, 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 we know the story. But then you want quarter of a million dollars up front in 10 days. And the narrative there in the in the press was okay. This is just a way to get to get working capital. So uh-huh. that that narrative is incredibly important for him to maintain control of. He seems to be losing control of it very quickly to me. And it's those kind of shifts that that presage shifts in in investor confidence in people worrying about putting down deposits for cars. You know, what do you make of that of that shift in in the attitude towards? Tesla amongst the mainstream press. Sure. So I don't, I guess I don't fully agree that I've noticed a shift as well. Um, maybe it's different in the press that you're following. Yeah, That's certainly possible. But from what, from what I've seen, and again, I'm probably a little bit more in the weeds. Um, Tesla has consistently since I've been invested in 2013, consistently had negative headlines pushed against them in a much more, significant way than positive headlines. I would I would separate that from Elon Musk in terms of I, I do think that Elon Musk has received tons and tons of positive press, but specific to Tesla, for whatever reason, there is seemingly always very negative headlines, um, especially in the investor space. Um, so perhaps the narrative around Elon Musk is shifting. I could I could see that being the case um, as he kind of continues to, you know, promise these things and then miss on these things. And I think people are probably getting a little bit tired of that. I think investors maybe a little bit less so. As we just saw with the Model 3, production timelines were pushed again. So originally they had promised or had targeted, not promised, um, very clearly targeted 5,000 Model 3s per week by the end of Q4. Then the end of Q4 came, um, or rather Q3, they adjusted that guidance to um, 5,000 per week at the end of Q1. And now they've again adjusted guidance to 5,000 per week at the end of Q2 with only 2,500 per week at the end of Q1. So they're about six months off of what their original timeline indicated. Um, and when they announced that, I think a lot of the bear, the bears, the bear perspective was that Tesla would fall pretty significantly from that news. The stock was only down eight tenths of a percent that day. And the reason for that is because people that are invested in Tesla have been invested long enough that they understand that Elon publishes very aggressive timelines for a very specific reason, and that is to motivate everyone that is working on those projects to produce the best results they possibly can in the shortest amount of time they possibly can. So as a Tesla investor, you see that happen time and time again, and you understand that you need to take that guidance and you need to adjust it to a more realistic timeline. So that's why you see when Tesla seemingly misses all of these um, self-imposed deadlines that the stock doesn't react how bears might expect it to. Because investors have already, they're already one step ahead of that. They've already adjusted their models um, to discount for the likelihood of Elon missing his targets. The reason that Tesla is still so valuable is because if you look at the actual results that they deliver time and time again, they deliver amazing products. Like you said, the Model S is an amazing car. People said the Model X was not going to be buildable. Bob Lutz, who was a vice chairman of GM for many years, he said, he literally said, quote, the Model X is not, not buildable. 
And now they're building them 40 to 50,000 vehicles per year. So time and time again, they accomplish these things that people say are impossible. And yes, they they do miss their deadlines, but investors are okay with that because missing their deadlines by six months is still, they're still producing amazing results. So that's why I think investors give a lot of um, leeway to Elon is because they just understand that that's how he's operating and they're used to it at this point. So as long as they continue delivering those those results, um, there's there's not a problem with the timeline shifting a little bit. So I don't know if that necessarily addressed everything that you had. So if you have like follow-ups to that, definitely let me know. Oh, competition. So that's that's another thing. So I think that's one of the biggest flaws in the bear narrative and has been consistently one of the biggest flaws. I mean, Mark said that competition has been obvious to him for three to four years. And I think he said that's why he, you know, went short when the stock was at $90. I actually bought the stock slightly after that. I bought in at 120 at in 2013. And back at that point in time, um, Mark was publishing articles that were comparing the model three in the future to like the Honda Accord. And this was in 2014. And he said, quote, for instance, in the mid price segment competing with the mid price Tesla, that's still at least three years away. There's a new Honda Accord hybrid, which starts at 29,000 and goes zero to 60 in 7.2 seconds while getting 50 miles per gallon in the city and 45 miles per gallon in the highway. And they went on to say, quote, if this Honda is available now, would anyone care to guess how well the 2017 Honda Accord hybrid might perform? So we're now in 2017, so we can get that information. And the miles per gallon on the 2017 hybrid Accord are 49 and 47 miles per gallon. So actually went slightly down the zero to 60 went to 7.1 and the price is at 28,000. So it's almost exactly the same car three years later. And that's the competition that Mark was said he was very apparent or very aware of three to four years ago. And the same situation is playing out right now. I do think the competition will start to become more serious over the next three to four years, but nobody is making any sort of plans to be at the production scale that Tesla is going to be at. They're still trying to get competitive vehicles out with the 2012 model S and it's going to be six, seven years later before they're able to finally do that. And the volume that they do it at is probably still going to be less than what Tesla was at back in like 2013. The volume that these these people are planning for is very low. And you can tell that because no one's making any um, significant plans to invest in battery production. And one of the things that Mark talked about was them waiting for solid state batteries. Um, to me, that's a little bit of a red herring because as we saw with Audi canceling the e-tron, the reason that these companies say that they're just waiting for the next round of technology is because they're just not ready to do it yet. So they say that they're waiting because that allows them to appease investors to not have to invest that money um, in significant production of electric vehicles yet. Because as we said, that will obsolete or obsolete their, um, their current assets, which they don't want to do. Imagine yourself as, you know, a CEO of a company and, you know, you're 55, 60 year old, 60, 55 or 60 years old, and you're probably running the company for another five to 10 years. Electric vehicles in that time span are not going to put you out of business. It's just, it's not going to happen. They're not, the production's not going to be there yet. So when you're looking at how you're going to be compensated and how investors are going to react to you, the course of action that you're most likely to take is to maximize your current profitability for the time span that you're going to be with that company. And that's not just the case for the CEO. That's the case for the board of directors. That's the case for the executive management teams. And that's the case for many investors as well. As we talked about investors in those companies probably don't want 
negative profitability or significantly drained profitability from investments that are going to reap um, benefits, you know, 10 years in the future. As Tesla has shown, it takes a long time to get up to that level of production and get that business to be profitable. Although, as, as Mark and other of the bears have pointed out, I mean, a lot of people have been leaving Tesla lately. They've lost their head of HR recently. They've lost their CFO and vice presidents of business development and all these other things. I mean, d- does that does that concern you? The, the implication would be that even within Tesla, there's people don't believe in the um, long run time frame that you kind of uh, spoke so eloquently about. No, I don't think so. I mean, at any company, you have people leaving constantly. So when this, when Jason Wheeler, their CEO for, you know, I think he was there for maybe three to six months, he had come over from Google. When he left, their old CFO actually came back. So um, Deepak came back. So to me, that's a, you know, a good sign that the former CEO would um, feel strongly enough to join the, rejoin the job that he had retired from. So I think that is, you know, totally fine. I actually feel very strongly about Tesla's team um, in terms of the talent that they've been able to attract and retain. Again, that's one of my main main reasons for being bullish is their ability to get that technology talent that uh, other people can't just because they're they're in Silicon Valley and they have that reputation as being a leading edge tech company. Yeah, that's fair enough. People walk in the door, people walk out the door. Um, sure. I would just like to, to ask maybe a, a personal question, which is that you mentioned sure. you've been in Tesla stock since 2013. Uh, and you also obviously are very interested in the company and the technology and the vision and, and, and the business. Um, which which came first? Like, did you buy the stock and then you learned more about it? Or did you learn a lot about the company by the stock? Just be yeah. interested to hear about your personal journey with these shares. No, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. So um, I actually, I live in Wisconsin, so I'm not at all, you know, in the tech tech capital of the world by any means. So I actually first learned of Tesla in 2013. I didn't know about them at all prior to that. Um, which might be surprising to to many people, but um, I actually learned about them because I was looking um, at one of my stock apps one day, and I saw that Tesla happened to be the stock that rose the most that day. So I I ended up looking at it just randomly and learning kind of you know they were actually making electric vehicles that were long range and had good performance, and that was something that I hadn't really heard about. So. Um, that was kind of the time where the stock had been going up from like $30 to like $150 or whatever in the course of, you know, a few months. So I I'd kind of followed it during that period of time, took a really, really small position just to kind of like, um, help myself learn about it. And from there, I just, you know, continued to learn about it, continued to kind of understand the benefits of electric vehicles. Um, I certainly didn't understand all of those things when I first learned about Tesla by any means. And, you know, over, over those last four or five years, I've spent, uh, I count countless hours reading thousands of people's opinions on electric vehicles. And they consistently say very, very positive things about the experience of driving an electric vehicle. And the latent demand there is unlike anything that I've ever seen or heard of before, like to have an order order log of 20 plus billion dollars is in a consumer segment, I'm pretty sure that's probably unprecedented. I can't certainly can't think of any instances myself and to have people lining up for a vehicle that hasn't even been shown, like no one even sees this. No one's even seen this vehicle yet. And there are thousands of people waiting in line to give Tesla their money with the hopes that it will be produced in two years. Like the power of that and the power of Tesla's brand to be able to make people do things like that is really something that has incredible value that I think people take for granted. So that's super tangential, <laughs> tangential. Um, 
but I just over over the course of time, I kept seeing these things. You know, I was there the morning that um, Model Three reservations opened, and I was just in shock at seeing how many people were so interested in this product. And my position has just continued to increase over time. And um, I've I don't even know. I've probably bought like twenty five different lots over the course of time over those over those four years, and I've um, never really sold unless it was to get more leverage through call options. I hope you don't mind me saying it sounds almost romantic. Like you saw the most beautiful girl at the party <laughs> and, uh, and, and you, you kind of the love affair started from there. <laughs> well, look, um, Rob, sadly we've, we've run out of time. It's been a fascinating sure. conversation. And look, I have to thank you for coming on and, and standing the bull's corner. Um, of course. You've, 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 you've made a very eloquent case. I, I, I'll, I'll be honest and say you haven't convinced me <laughs> to change my mind, but, that's, uh, but there are plenty of people out there who uh, hopefully you've given lots to think about. And, um, you know, we've, we've been looking for someone to come on and do this for, for a couple of months now. And so uh, I, I really do thank you for, for taking the time to do this and, uh, and giving us so much, uh, so much to think about. So, Rob, um, before you go, just let uh, people at home know where they can uh, perhaps find you and, uh, and, and tune into some of the stuff you're putting out on, on Tesla and other things. Yeah, sure. So I do a podcast on Tesla every weekday. It's called Tesla Daily. So you can just search for um, that in any of your podcast apps, or you can find it at tech, um, sorry, techcastdaily.com. Um, but again, just search for it in any podcast app. I do. If you want to hear more about Tesla, I'm covering all the news and trying to provide as much analysis as I can on that news every single weekday. So that's great. And then I'm also on Twitter at Tesla Podcast. Um, and if for whatever reason you have questions or want to email me, you can do that at tesladailypodcast at gmail.com. Rob Mauer, thank you again so much for joining us. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me, Grant. This has been great. Well, Alex, look, uh, you, I, you and I haven't really had an awful lot of time to discuss uh, your opinion on Tesla. Mine is fairly well stated. Um, you know, and as I said there uh, to Rob, he makes a very eloquent case. I just happen to disagree with just about everything he said in the long run. You know, I, I, I just have this feeling that um, the Tesla fans are Tesla fans no matter what. They don't see anything as a problem. And maybe I'm completely the other end of the scale and I see problems where there aren't any. But I just have to – I have to. The, the, the big things for me are this need to raise capital or you're going to run out of money uh, and the market knows they've got you over a barrel. And I, I just can't get past having to suddenly fight not just Mercedes but Audi and BMW and Maserati and Porsche. I, I, I just don't see – um, how Elon is going to manage to do that? What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I so, so I, I think that's a valid concern. I mean, I, I no way of knowing what the future will look like for these uh, vehicles. Uh, what I think is interesting from the long term perspective is, you know, Rob kind of alluded to this that when he bought Tesla stock in 2013, like he knew, or maybe he didn't know immediately, but he did his research and he found out it was like a long process. Like you're supposed, he, he are meant to own it, you know, as they're doing all these, all this R and D and, and advancing and advancing, advancing in, in the hopes of a big payoff later. It, I just found it kind of interesting. I, I never really thought that the plan that Musk had for the company is almost also in a way, a plan for the shareholders that keeps them invested in the stock. Well, there's a, there's a big difference to me between people who buy into the idea of electric cars, which I totally agree that, I'm not surprised that everyone who drives an electric car is 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 bullish about the future of electric vehicles. They clearly are the future. But uh, right now, your choice is, uh, you know, if you if you want to spend a lot of money and get a really nice electric car, you, there's only one game in town. But that is going to change. And, although, uh, 
Yeah, I, I, what do you th- what do you think of his innovators dilemma point though that you know these incumbent companies are so tied to their existing car technology they're not going to be able to move quickly enough and pivot fast enough into the electric sphere? Well, look, it, it's it's a valid question, but I you know I I look at I look at these companies and and I'm looking at the German companies. You know, if there's one thing the Germans know mm-hmm. how to do is build cars and build great cars and build them very profitably and. I think the chances of Mercedes, BMW, Audi, Porsche, Volkswagen, all these companies screwing this up is effectively zero at this point. Um, and you know, I, I, I for, for the longest time, I've thought that all the people who've bought a Model S, for example, I'm sure they've loved it. You know, I've driven in one. It's 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 a fun thing to drive. Uh, I was. I was very disappointed with the kind of quality of the interior for, for such an expensive car. It kind of felt a little bit, uh, a little bit tacky to me. But it, you know, it's, it's a great car and it's great fun to drive. My case has always been that when the Tesla is five, six, seven years old, and people are thinking, you know, what, I want a new fancy fast sports car, well, suddenly they've got a hell of a lot of choice. And while I'm sure they will want another electric sports car. Um, they might well decide that you know what this Tesla was great, but you know that Porsche with all the mm-hmm. all the extras are standard and all the stuff on there, all the, the quality of the seats and the leather and all the yada yada yada. You know what? I I love electric cars, but I'm not wedded to having a Tesla. That's the way I suspect this thing will go. But who knows? Mm-hmm. Maybe Elon's the cult of Elon is powerful enough to uh, to mitigate that. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we'll see. All right, well, that's uh, that's all we've got time for on this episode of Adventures in Finance. Before we go, um, the usual legal disclaimer, anything you heard on this episode should not be considered as trading advice. These are our opinions and the opinions of our contributors. So please do your fundamental research, chart your technicals, place your stops, and always trade responsibly. We'll be back next week with a special feature uh, a couple of days before the one-year anniversary of the inauguration of President Trump, where we'll take a look at some of the noise and the sturm and drang surrounding uh, the current White House administration and see if we can't uh, find a little bit of common ground in the middle somewhere. In the meantime, if you have an interesting question about this week's show, we'd love to hear it. Uh, send us an email or a voice note at podcast at realvision.com. Uh, and if you enjoy what you heard, please subscribe on iTunes and maybe leave us a review even. Uh, meanwhile, to keep to date with the latest interviews, research, publications, and podcast episodes, you can follow Real Vision on Twitter at Real Vision. Yep. You will also find us in the somewhat darker recesses of Facebook and LinkedIn if you just search for Real Vision. And you can follow me on Twitter at TTMYGH. Uh, you can follow me at, at Aces Rose. You can follow me at AIF James. Yep, that's still a thing. Uh, that's it from us. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week. podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads go to lips and ads.com now that's l-i-b-s-y-n ads.com